0: Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to call in, be part of the conversation. You can also reach out to the show through the KPEL app chat. You just find the little chat button up there on your app, whether you're listening uh, through the app right now or you're in your car, as long as you're not driving, go ahead and send a message to the show. We will respond to that. Uh The show notes are out. If you want to see those, go to joecunninghamshow.substack.com. You can also sign up to receive those by email every day. Uh, But before we get to the news of the day, I want to talk about Home for the Holidays. I think we are kicking this off now. This is my first time going through all this. So, uh, Adrian Fontenot with Acadian Home Builders Association, I need you to walk me through it. Help me understand what it is that we are doing here.
1: Absolutely. So the Acadian Home Builders Association has for um, 18 years now sponsored the Home for the Holidays project. And it's a collaboration of many people in the community. Um, We have a builder each year that volunteers to construct the home. Um, We use our talents and try to pool our resources to do what we can To in turn, um, you know, donate those net proceeds from each campaign to shelter related agencies in our community. And, you know, Acadian Home Builders Association is itself a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And over the past eight uh, over the past 17 years, we've been able to pour back into our community uh, right over two point seven million dollars. So.
0: All right. So. Let's say somebody wants to donate to this cause. How can they do so?
1: Sure. So we officially launched ticket sales um, on October 1st, but today is our big push to get our campaign rolling. And um, the most, uh, I guess, or the easiest way that uh, someone can purchase a ticket is go to homefortheholidaysla.com. Um, again, the campaign is an opportunity for people to purchase tickets. Um, they are $100 each in exchange for the chance to win a home. Um, And, you know, we've incentivized ticket sales today. Anyone who purchases a ticket before midnight tonight is eligible for our first early bird drawing, um, which is $2,500, and that is courtesy of Classic Auto Spa. So anyone who purchases their ticket online before midnight tonight will be entered into that drawing, and the drawing will be held tomorrow. The winner will be announced around noon.
0: That sounds like quite the investment. A $100 ticket for a chance to win, $2,500. And even if you don't win, you're still making a donation to a great cause.
1: Absolutely. So our four agencies that benefit from the Home for the Holidays campaign, again, I mentioned they're all shelter-related, and they're Healing House, Faith House, Lafayette, Habitat, For Humanity and Foster the Love, Louisiana. And it's, again, an opportunity for the Home Builders Association to canvas their membership and to pool their resources together, do what we do best, build a home. Um, That's what we do every day. Build a home, sell tickets for an opportunity for someone from the public to win a new construction home, and in turn, uh, you know, give give those net proceeds, give those resources to the agencies in our community that are doing the hard work every day to ensure the safety and comfort of our citizens.
0: All right. So the grand prize, a home. Uh, where is the home located? Tell us about it. Because it, it, I've heard, I heard the description uh, with Brandon and Bernie this morning. I got very excited hearing that. Tell us, tell us more.
1: Sure. So it is still under construction, but it is being built by the Gen Group. Uh, construction charlie genet is the owner of the gen group and it's going to be or it's being located in the estates at west village so west village is that new tnd neighborhood in scott They've got amazing things going on out there. Um, It's going to be a really fabulous community. The estates at West Village um, is the section with the larger lots and and a little bit larger homes. Um, It's over 2,300 square feet. It's a two-story home. Again, brand new construction. We always have lots of vendors and suppliers that will step up to the plate and either offer discounts or donations. Uh, we really you know, do our best to put the latest and greatest in all of these homes. It's not quite finished, but just as soon as it is, we will offer a link uh, for a virtual tour on our website. And of course, closer to the drawing date in December, uh, we'll have open house opportunities as well for people to come out and tour the home.
0: All right. Now, if you don't mind a personal question, why do you do this?
1: Well, again, um, you know, we can't individually, as members of the Acadian Home Builders Association, uh, make a significant impact in our community when we, um, you know, build houses every day, right? And and there there's a large segment of people who are possibly not able to afford the traditional housing method and or are escaping domestic violence. Um, Children who are suffering with the death of a loved one are being thrusted from the only home that they know Mm -hmm. and placed into foster care. And so as a group for the past 18 years, we've come together and used this this venue to be able to pull the resources to collect the most money that we possibly can to engage the community, because we don't want this just to be an Acadian home builders effort. We want it to be a community effort. And so in, you know, selling the tickets, we're giving the community an opportunity to play a part at the end of the day. Once all the bills are paid and the net profit is realized, there is nothing more rewarding than to make contributions to these agencies um, who are literally scraping the bottom of the barrel to do all that they can with all that they have. Yeah. And, you know, particularly since COVID, the need has increased significantly. And so, um, you know, year after year, there's no question, um, you know, with with Town Square, with KATC, it's just automatic. OK, what are we doing next year? And, you know, the support that we receive from our media partners and the support that we receive the, from the community um, that gives us the confidence to move forward.
0: I I especially I, you know, I, I've mentioned on the show before I, I've worked in education I, I've worked with kids. Some have been disadvantaged in, in so many different ways. And it's so good to see a big, like you said, community-wide effort on this. This is just spectacular. So once again, anybody who wants to buy that $100 ticket, make that donation, where do they go?
1: Sure. So they can visit homefortheholidaysla.com, homefortheholidaysla.com. And um, they can click buy a ticket and uh, take care of everything right there.
0: All right. Adrienne Fontenot with the Canadian Home Builders Association. Thank you very much for coming in today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and take this break. We will get back in just a moment to the news of the day here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. 232-1542 is the number if you want to call in, be part of the program, and... You can also send a message to the uh, show through the KPL app chat. In fact, I am opening up that page right now just to make sure I haven't missed anything. But the big news right now, uh, this just coming out, actually working on the story for KPL965.com, former interim police chief Wayne Griffin is being reinstated after a meeting of the Lafayette Fire and Police Civil Service Board today. Uh, he will be reinstated to the rank of sergeant effective immediately. They found that LCG did not act in good faith and fired Griffin without cause. This, of course, is stemming from a sequence of events that happened uh, beginning late 2021 when allegations of sexual harassment uh, were put forward. Uh, Griffin was suspended. And ultimately fired by the, by interim police chief, uh, Monty, uh, uh, who, uh, who in the letter detailed, uh, or, or described what he said was behavior from Griffin that, uh, broke, uh, rules and policies within LCGs, uh, uh, within LCG rules. So that is the current news. Of the, That's happening right now. Wayne Griffin being reinstated to sergeant with Lafayette Police Department. Uh, we will be following that story. Again, that story going up on KPEL965.com shortly. But the big statewide news of the day, Jeff Landry. Jeff Landry has announced that he is running for governor. And actually, uh, Jeremy Alford pointed this out in his uh, Law Politics Weekly that went out today. This. This really says nothing about the governor's race. Landry was a known quantity in that. But this does help solidify further the attorney general's race for next year. So while everybody else, I I texted this to a buddy of mine uh, who's uh, on the national political scene. I said, while you guys are worried about Herschel Walker, while you're worried about Mehmet Oz, 2023 has started in Louisiana. And it's not even about the governor's race. We know Jeff Landry, we knew a long time Jeff Landry was going for it. What we didn't know was how the attorney general's race, the race to replace him, was going to shape up. Earlier this week, uh, John Savansky, representative from Crowley, announced that he was going to run for the spot. Liz Merle, uh, Landry's top deputy, has been uh, basically saying she was going to run for the job and, in fact, now has a campaign site out there. So you've got Landry officially for governor. You've got Stefanski and Merle officially for attorney general. We still don't know about the lieutenant governor's race. We don't know about some of the other statewide races. Uh, I imagine that with the exception of lieutenant governor, because Billy Nungesser is probably running for governor, uh, most most of those incumbents will stay and will likely win. Uh, there's not much of a clamor out there for somebody to try to run and beat Mike Strain, for example. Uh, and nothing against Mike Strain. That's just the first name that came to mind. But I mean, there's really uh, I mean, there's nobody out there looking to, to uh, run against Kyle Ardwin. I mean, they these are these are names that are they're going to stay in those offices until they decide to to leave. But what's interesting here is Landry moving now. Not waiting for the midterms, not waiting for uh, the new year, Landry announcing now. I have no insight into this whatsoever. I do not have any voices whispering my ear about this. Nothing. What I do have, though, is a suspicion that this was less about Landry striking out early and more about giving Liz Merle a chance to establish her campaign. Because while Landry is an extremely popular Republican statewide elected official, Merle does not have that name recognition. Now, Merle has been out there, has been representing, uh, has been representing Landry's office very well. Has been doing a lot of work for Landry. Has been uh, on Moon Show several times, but Merle needs to get a campaign team. Going get a campaign website, get all this stuff going to start building that uh, that statewide network. Stefanski has an advantage. Stefanski has recognition because of the fact he's uh, he's uh, chair of an important committee in the House, is a fairly well known name in Louisiana politics right now, and also has previous campaigning experience. Liz Merle does not. Liz Merle needs to get out there, needs to establish herself as a candidate, to be able to run in this race. This is going to be, I think, an interesting race because as far as attorney generals go, Landry's leaving some big shoes to fill. And yes, while those shoes are have made footsteps that Merle has followed very closely, she still has to prove herself to be her own person. It, she's She does not want to be a Jeff Landry clone because when you try to be like somebody else, you fail to determine find yourself and you fail to live up to that legacy. So she's got to be able to create this who is Liz Merle name and be able to go out there and campaign like that. What is she going to do as attorney general? What is she going to focus on? She's going to continue the fight for Louisiana citizens, continue the fight for the constitution, all the, you expect to hear all that in campaign ads coming up. But I think Landry's video, his, his campaign video, no matter when it gets dropped is actually a very good video. Landry himself doesn't appear on camera in the video. You've heard the audio throughout the day, but when you watch the video, Landry himself doesn't appear on the video until much later. It's a series of images. It's clips of different citizens of Louisiana, how different all of them are. And Landry has a good message. At the very end, he says, no, I'm not running for governor. We're running for governor. A unifying message is going to be what brings Louisiana together. And it's very pointed to make that case when the last two gubernatorial elections have been so divisive. Have been Republicans fighting, dividing themselves much less dividing from Democrats. And you've had John Bill Edwards able to walk in both times. Landry is very specifically getting out there in the first to say, we are running to run as a unifying candidate already. He's out there saying, I'm running for all of us. Part of that is a cue that, yes, I'm running for all conservatives and all Republicans. He's taking that spot early. Billy Nungesser expected to be more of the moderate Republican candidate. Uh, John Schroeder expected to be a conservative type, but he's a little more bookish. He's he's a little more focused on on some of these kind of policy issues. And Landry's going out there to be the conservative candidate. He's going out there to be the fighter. He's going out there to say, like I just said, for the attorney general thing, I'm going to fight for the Constitution. I'm going to fight for Louisiana. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it for all of us. I'm not running, we're running. That's a message that undermines Schroeder and Nungesser quite a bit because now they can't go out there and say, I'm running for all of us. I'm running to unite us. I'm running to bring us all together. Landry's already doing that. And he's doing so in a way that you can't really attack him from the right or from the left or from the center, I guess. So these other Republican candidates have to figure out a way. And right now, it's Landry's race to lose. Alright, let's take a break. When we come back, I have some thoughts. I've been kind of talking to some folks. I've been looking into some things. I want to talk about our own midterm race here, the congressional race. When we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of of the program. You can also send a message through the KPEL app chat, uh, and we'll get to those. I do have the website up. You can send those messages if you'd like to be part of the show. Now, I want to talk about the Clay Higgins race. I've, I've talked a little on this before, but I want to dive into it a little bit. So I think it was last week, uh, Holden Hoggett sent a... Uh, or he released an ad, and it was a parody. It was a mockery of Higgins' time as uh, in, in Crime Stoppers, uh, and it, it it mocked his his tone, his, the way he speaks, all that. But it also mentioned back child support pay that he still owed thousands on that. It mentioned how he doesn't show up. Uh, lots of things that are really negative about Higgins. And the ad, I'm going to tell you right now, I do believe the ad is effective. Now, you may not, you may disagree, but I'm speaking from that objective guy on the sidelines type look. That ad is effective for one reason. And that's going to be Republican women. Republican women are very family-oriented, and issues like back child support, uh, anything that anything that goes against that traditional family view, Republican women in particular do not respond well to that in their candidates. And so, it will probably have some sort of an effect it's going to get women to question whether or not they still support Clay Higgins. I've talked to some folks on the ground. I've talked to some folks at the national level. I've gotten what insights I could on elections, on ads like this. I'm I'm not just speaking blindly here. This is how campaigns are typically run. This is usually what happens when these tactics are employed and this is what would need to happen in a situation where you're trying to beat Clay Higgins. Higgins is a he's popular in the area. He's not as popular as, say, a Jeff Landry or Donald Trump. And that's primarily due to one of the things the, the Hoggett ad points out is that Higgins isn't around. Higgins stays in Washington, D.C. He doesn't show up for events. He sent a surrogate to qualify, all of that sort of thing. They're playing into this image that Higgins is very visible in Washington, D.C., but you rarely see him back home. And you rarely see a whole lot about him on TV, in news reports, unless something negative is out there. That's just how it goes. And so he doesn't have that same level of, of popularity of recognition. He wins his races because everybody knows him as the Crime Stoppers guy. And everybody liked him because of his tough on crime stance, which is a huge thing here. But he's also got $250,000 in the bank. And he's got to mount a defense while still showing that he is capable of doing the job that we sent him to Washington to do. Then there's this ad, this, this Hoggett ad. And I imagine that more ads are coming. What any person running against Higgins has to do is they can't just be on the attack. Let's take Georgia, for example, in Georgia right now, Raphael Warnock is leaning very heavily into the uh, the violent behavior, the mental illness, everything like that. You'll notice that Raphael Warnock hasn't really launched into the whole uh, Herschel Walker paid for an abortion thing. In fact, Politico wrote a story on it and Politico said in their story, they cannot verify the information in the Daily Beast story. It's important to note that. It's important to note that everybody right now is talking about the family stuff. Because again, the family stuff is what's going to keep Republicans, especially Republican women, off Herschel Walker's side. The difference here is this. In Georgia, Raphael Warnock is banking on people just giving up and staying home. If that happens, Raphael Warnock wins the election in November. Here, though, the incumbent is the guy being attacked for this stuff. He's not the challenger. So if you just convince people to stay home, Ah oh, Higgins isn't worth it, It just got to stay home, you're not bringing any people into your camp. So what Holden Hogan, what any opponent of Clay Higgins has to do right now, if they've got the money, is they've got to start developing and releasing ads that give you the contrast. They give you the dark contrast. They come with the clear message, I am the pro-family guy. I am the pro-community guy. I am the person who will be here for you. I am the person who will represent you in Washington, D.C., and I am the person who will come back home in the case of in case of tragedy, in case of crisis, I will be the one to support you every way I can. I won't ignore constituent calls. I will not stay in Washington, D.C. I will be here. You will see me day in, day out. Not only will you see me, you will see me and my family. I'm so and so I approve this message you need to introduce yourself to the district. And right now it's very difficult to, for that message to break through because we are pretty late in the game and people are already starting to form their opinions. But if you want the opportunity to beat Clay Higgins, and again, I'm speaking as somebody on the sidelines. I do not have a particular dog in this fight, but I'm explaining the strategy on this one. The strategy is, as I've said before, negative ads suppress the vote. That's what they're supposed to do. Nobody wants to admit that they're suppressing the vote, but they are suppressing the vote. They're they're convincing people to stay home. They're not convincing people to come to their side. But what you need is a positive message one that brings people over to you. Yeah, that guy sucks. Here's why you should come and vote for me. You need that stark message, that stark contrast. You need that clear message. And if a candidate comes through with a successful message like that, keeps up the attacks on Higgins and the, the, the child support, all that. I'm not saying I agree with it. I, I'm whatever. Is this just the political strategy behind it? So please don't misinterpret this as me saying I support anybody over anybody else because that's not the case here. But if you're going to run these campaign as attacking somebody, you need to make sure that your follow up message is here's why you vote for me because I am the opposite of this. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I am here. I, so, I am pro-family. Here's my family history. Here's my support of the community. All of that. I would be very interested to see what internal numbers look like from any of the campaigns. Because there's not a whole lot of public can- of public polling information that's out there. I think we've got two they are very far apart and none of them are really focusing on these particular issues There's no poll out there that's that's really that, that's public that's showing whether or not the Holden Hogan uh, Hoggett ad makes uh, makes it a dent there's nothing showing what the voters are interested in so we we're kind of going into this blindly. My gut instinct, though, is that if they get the attack ad out there and they have a follow-up message that creates the stark contrast, there is a way to whittle his numbers down below 50% and force him into a runoff. Because that's the goal. The goal right now is not to win. The goal is to keep Higgins at below 50%. Because if Higgins is below 50%, that means there's more than 50% that aren't really a fan. That means there's a lot of potential for you to pick up a lot of votes and maybe finish across the the and maybe get across the finish line in December in the in the runoff. But we shall see. Let's take this break when we come back. A couple more stories to talk about for the day and your calls and your messages on the app chat right here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232 1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, so lots of movement happening on the political scene. I'm very interested in, like I said, the race for attorney general and how that's shaping up, but also the Clay Higgins stuff, but nationally. You know, it's not just 2022. Let's say that Herschel Walker cannot make it in Georgia. Let's say that Mehmet Oz is not able to overcome John Fetterman. It still looks like Adam Laxalt is going to win in Nevada. So where does that leave us? A 50-50 Senate in 2023. And then in 2024, do you know what happens? From Politico, Senate Democrats face brutal 2024 map with at least eight undecided incumbents. Of the 33 Senate seats up for election next term, 23 are held by Democrats. That makes for a tough cycle and it gets even harder if incumbents choose not to run. From Politico, Senate Democrats are staring down the uh, the risk of their own great resignation in 2024, even as the caucus pushes to expand a 50-50 majority this fall. It's bracing for a fight to defend 23 seats to the GOP's 10 in the next election cycle, many of them in red and purple territory. Against that backdrop, at least eight members of Chuck Schumer's caucus are agonizing over whether to run again, and a couple hail from states that may be lost to the GOP, If the incumbent bows out, several senators are waiting to see how the midterms shake out in a month before making any moves, according to interviews and statements from 22 of the 23 sitting Democrats up in 2024. Now, this is going to make for a very fascinating 2024 cycle. Because not only do we have somebody who right now is not very popular in Joe Biden, somebody who is struggling on the world stage in Joe Biden, but consider this. If we're not in a recession right now, we will be soon. And these aren't things that get settled very quickly. These are things that last a while. And if a recession comes during Joe Biden's term, And it is as bad as some economic forecasts are suggesting. Then Joe Biden is in a lot of trouble in 2024 and the Democrats are in a lot of trouble in 2024. So what are some of the things that will make things really tough? What are things that will make the economic situation even worse? Well, right now in the short term, what makes November look bad is the fact that OPEC plus is now saying they're cutting their production by two million barrels a day. 2 million barrels of oil, that is a significant cut. And that reflects on Joe Biden. His administration has been very, very... Um, his administration has been, been very uh, reluctant to admit any fault with the energy problems in the, in the U.S., they have been focused on how do we get other people to produce for us while we switch to green energy. And as a result of all this, there's no domestic production and there is no no growth in domestic production. If you want to offset the OPEC plus news, all you have to do is immediately cut the red tape. You cut the red tape on domestic production, you actually don't just say that there's all this land, all this lease land available. You actually go out there. You actually go out there and you say, look, not only is this lease land available, but we're actually going to cut the red tape so that you're able to produce. You're not looking at skyrocketing costs to do so. Let's go ahead and get some of these, some of this oil out of the ground. Let's get some of the natural gas out of the ground. Let's, let's, Let's really work to make the markets better. Just announcing that because oil is a futures market will bring the price of, of, of oil per barrel down. That will have an immediate impact. And then when you start production, even while the effects of OPEC plus are being felt, when you know production is happening, the markets will react to that. And the markets will have the ability to adjust and you won't see the prices start to rise like we're already starting to see right now. We've started to see it for the past few days, the prices are going back up and it's freaking the White House out, by the way, behind the scenes, the White House is absolutely freaking out because they've painted themselves into a corner. They came in on a hardline stance that they were not going to allow any increased production in the United States. We were going to go green. We're going to fight climate change. And then what happened? We hit an energy crisis and it happened long before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But that didn't help. It did not help. So not only did you have that, but you've had you know, the increased summer travel. Now over, what helped bring oil prices and gas prices down is the fact that summer travel was over and demand was lower. But now prices are starting to go up again. And you've got so many issues. So now you've got to increase production domestically in order to have any shot of actually lowering the prices in any meaningful way. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to admit defeat on this policy. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to put out a statement like they did today. We think this is very short-sighted. You know what's short-sighted? Making an energy-independent America, largely energy-independent America, dependent on outside sources. That was short-sighted because you couldn't see a Russian war coming. You couldn't see the energy crisis, the supply chain issues, the recession mounting. You probably could have seen inflation coming had you not pushed forward on the American Rescue Plan, despite being warned, including by progressive economists that was going to increase inflation. All these things you could have seen and you could have made adjustments and not cut back on domestic production so much. That's what's short-sighted. But instead, it's the blame game. All right, y'all have a good one. We're going to be back here in 23 hours on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter, Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, substack, JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. So subscribe for the daily show notes. Talk to you guys again soon. Shannon is off sides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.